I'm going to be talking to you today about current trends in general surgery, uh, really defining, uh, honing in on defining the benefits of a total robotic practice approach and expanded access program in your facility. So as far as why expanded access is important, it really the, the primary reason that it's important is that it helps to build experience. And this is not just for the surgeon, but also for the operative teams, uh, the hospitals, the programs in general. And this increased experience really then lines up well with this kind of hot buzz term in, in healthcare these days called the quadruple aim initiatives. And that's where we improve outcomes, reduce costs, increase patient satisfaction, and increase provider satisfaction. But this expanded access and the increased experience that comes along with it, the way that it kind of lines up and, and leads to those uh, quadruple aim initiatives is by helping to uh, increase the reproducibility of what you're doing. So it takes those efficiencies and advanced techniques that you learn by doing those elective cases and allows you to translate that into the acute, urgent, and emergent setting. And it also helps to standardize uh, quality of care. And so you can take, again, the, the high quality, you know, great surgeries that you're providing to your patients in those daytime elective cases and be able to provide that same standard of care to the urgent and emergent cases happening on the night and weekends. And this was important, you know, last year during COVID-19 time. So while, you know, things were shut down and most of the robots across the country kind of looked like this poor one over here on the left, uh, you know, that's kind of covered up and, and, uh, and crying over here, our robots looked more like this. You know, they were going and uh, all urgent and emergent cases were still being done robotically, anything that was a candidate for a minimally invasive procedure. So even with limited staff and limited hours, we were still able to get these surgeries done in a robotic fashion. And it really helped to prevent a significant backlog of cases as well too, because we were able to continue doing some of those semi-elective cases, the symptomatic gallbladders and hernias and things like that, um, and without having to significantly avoid, avoid them at all and, and continuing to delay those cases so we could continue to get those done even with the limited hours. And then, you know, this is important even beyond COVID time. So things, other interruptions can and will occur. For instance, you know, everybody's well aware of the polar vortex freeze that came and hit Texas a couple of months ago. And that really shut us down for a good week or, or almost up to two weeks. And so that created a unavoidable backlog of cases where when we were trying to catch up, uh, we had, again, some limited staff issues, um, you know, and we had to work longer hours into the evening and the weekends. But with our expanded access, we were able to continue to provide this uh, minimally, the minimally invasive uh, robotic approach and the benefits of that to the patients, regardless of the hours that were being done. So as far as how to build an expanded access program, um, again, this is really a kind of a talk all on its own, uh, but really the, the main, you know, you can break it down into two big buckets. First, you need to build a strong foundation in, uh, in general, in, in robotic surgery, and then you start to make your case to expand the access. And what we'll really be focusing on today is kind of the data aspect of that. Uh, as Dr. Gearhart mentioned, this is a critical function in, in kind of proving the value of, of robotic surgery. So, you know, uh, we'll talk about 
how to track the data and how to get that data, but then also, you know, furthermore, kind of taking that data and being able to tell your story, you know, to the appropriate people involved. So, you know, when we're talking about data collection and we want to leverage, you know, show how to leverage the data that you're, that you're um, uh, getting in to build the program, one of the first things to, to really start to do, and I really like to highlight this, is to rethink what matters in general surgery, rethink what data points is important. And I'll give you a hint here. It's not the operative times or OR costs. Um, you want to then start to, uh, when you're looking at obtaining the data, you can get it from multiple different sources. So I personally use the SSR uh, from the American College of Surgeons, but really any data registry source is a good resource to pull data from for your own, own cases. The hospital can also provide you data from their end, their, their metrics. Uh, and then Intuitive uh, is a good resource for data collection and data um, uh, delivery you know, to you about what's happening in your region and what's happening nationally across the country with, and everyone with national studies. And then again, once you get that data and start to collate that, you wanna be able to start communicating the results of that to show the value of robotic surgery to, um, you know, to, to other people. And so the first line is in that sense is gonna to be to your OR staff, your OR administration and your hospital administration. But really even then beyond that, you wanna start communicating the value of what you're seeing and with this data to, to your patients, um, you know, to talk to them about it, to your PCPs and other referring providers, and then really also to the public. And I, I kind of italicize that because I think this is an area where we haven't done a great job on so far is really educating the public about robotic surgery, I think is an area for great opportunity in the future. Um, and so again, when we're looking at the data, um, really again, a lot of times we do like to focus on this, this tip of the iceberg type data. Uh, and this is where a lot of the, it costs too much and it takes too long comes from, where we're kind of focusing on the OR times and the instrument and accessory costs, the capital costs. But really I think what's, what's really important and what drives outcomes in healthcare costs more significantly is this stuff that's kind of below the surface, really the things like data points like length of stays, ICU admissions, conversion rates, readmissions, complications, and variability. So those are the things that really start to drive healthcare costs. Um, but if we want to look, you know, first you want to look initially, and we did this too with my data, looking at that kind of tip of the iceberg stuff. When you're looking at that and you're trying to compare costs and times, I think it's very important to focus on or, or really remember that you want to look at comparing apples to apples. You want to compare your laparoscopic costs to your robotic costs, your uh, laparoscopic times to your robotic times. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's not really helpful to compare yourself to other, other surgeons, other colleagues, other hospital systems, or, you know, or anywhere else around the country. You want to really compare apples to apples. And so when we looked at this, looking at my costs for some uh, initial procedures like inguinal and ventral hernias, gallbladders, and urgent procedures like appendectomies, uh, we, you know, and this is total costs for, for the operative that the, that the hospital was, was spending on a particular case not just the instruments only. Uh, and what we found was that, um, you know, the, the costs were actually, you know, improved for most of the robotic procedures, slightly more for gallbladders, and the time differential was essentially, you know, uh, negligible, just a few minutes difference, you know, between the cases. So bottom line is the time and per procedure costs were similar for my laparoscopic and robotic cases. So that, you know, kind of that fallacy that's out there that it takes too long and it costs too much was really, you know, we kind of proved that that wasn't the case. Um, 
And then even new for 2021, uh, makes it even better, is uh, Intuitive's extended use program. So uh, what they've done is they've taken their instruments and lowered the costs of them. So this is kind of a busy slide, but this is basically showing um, a kind of a mix of my cases from last year, from 2020, and the cost, this in gray, gray column is the cost of what the instruments cost last year. And then this is what the, in blue, what they, what they would cost this year with the expend, extended use program. And so if you multiply that times the number of cases, the total savings really kind of came out to be over $50,000. So that's if I did exactly the same number of cases with the, exactly the same instruments and changed nothing at all, I would actually save over $50,000 in costs this year compared to last year. So that's the benefit of this, this program. But then when we start again looking at um, the, the a deeper kind of below the surface data points, uh, we, we took a look at this. This is a QTI data that we put together um, comparing my ventral and incisional hernia data for my uh, robotic cases compared to some national data uh, published for laparoscopic and open cases. And again, looking at those more important data points, length of stays, conversion rates, complications, readmissions. And what you can see is that when we put that together, the cost savings that estimated cost savings per procedure was in the order of several thousands of dollars. So really kind of blows away the, the individual OR cost and time data that you're looking at. And if you multiply that out times the number of cases, uh, this was a total cost savings, uh, you know, and, and, and very significant. We saw the same outcomes when we started looking at my inguinal hernia data. Again, putting together all that, you know, with the with the other data points. Again, uh, estimated cost savings in the uh, thousands of dollars of range. Um, we saw this same thing with the with colon and colorectal data, and this is something that's also been published in multiple areas. Uh, again, showing multiple thousands of dollars of cost savings per procedure, uh, which can really be quite significant multiplied out. Uh, looking beyond that, one thing to consider, one thing I really want to highlight here today is that um, what we're getting from robotic surgery is the ability to do some advanced techniques with this advanced technology that we really couldn't do. There's no comparison to it laparoscopically. Um, some of the things that, that we're doing, you know, there is, there's no apples to apples comparison. And so you know, in the realm of hernia, for instance, doing a tap repair or ETAP or TAR approach, you know, is not the same thing as doing an eye pumps or, you know, approach um, and, and repair. Closing the defect, repairing an abdominal wall separation, suturing, these are all things that we really weren't doing a lot of, if at all, laparoscopically. The enhanced dissection that we can get for inguinal hernias is something that we couldn't get laparoscopically for the most part. In the realm of gallbladders, the continuous biliary visualization with Firefly um, it, you know, is not the same thing as a spot view with an IOC. The energy dissection that we can do on the duct and artery is something that we couldn't or, or wasn't doing much of laparoscopically for most people. The ability to minimize the percentage of non-operative treatment for acute, really bad acute cholecystitis cases, something that, that there's no comparison to. And then something like in a really advanced technique, like a common bile duct exploration, utilizing Tile Pro and picture-in-picture, -picture, uh, and, and being able to, um, you know, to do a direct cholecystoscopy during the procedure is really not the same thing as the blind, you know, explorations that we were doing with fluoro, you know, laparoscopically. In the realm of colorectal surgery, intracorporeal anastomosis, you know, again, is not the same thing as an extracorporeal anastomosis. The enhanced, less traumatic dissections are different. The quicker return to bowel functions is evident. 
Uh, and then the firefly visualization for both bowel and potentially ureters as well. So I think we can all kind of see that, you know, if you have a ventral hernia like this and uh, you slap some mesh underneath it and uh, put a few transfascial sutures and you get your tacker and you tack it up and, you know, this is your end product, that's not the same thing as, you know, having a ventral defect, creating your preperitoneal space, closing your, your defect, uh, suturing your mesh in place, uh, you know, with a, with a better uh, fixation technique, and then, you know, burying that in the preperitoneal space. Those are really not the same procedures that you're doing. Um, you know, the, the view that we can get, you know, during an inguinal hernia uh, laparoscopically is really not the same view as that you can get, you know, for a rob robotic dissection when you're doing it robotically. Um, and, you know, furthermore, tacking the mesh, you know, in place for an inguinal hernia and, and ending up with a bunch of tacks all over the inguinal region is not the same thing as suturing your mesh into place um, and, and the ability to fixate it better and also have less potential pain for the patient. Um, and then there are just certain techniques that, that really were kind of impossible to do laparoscopically or very, very rarely done by most surgeons, things like the TAR you know, repair and the ETEP repair. A view like this for a gallbladder, um, you know, with the naked eye is really not the same thing as the firefly view that you get. Um, and then, you know, pulling out the bowel and doing an extracorporeal anastomosis during a colorectal procedure, it's not the same thing as an intracorporeal anastomosis and the ability to decrease, you know, um, or get quicker return to bowel function and decrease length of stay. All of this plays into the improved outcomes that we see. So again, just to kind of reiterate that, you know, sometimes when we look at times and costs and we get hung up with that, uh, one thing I want to, you know, again, just to really emphasize is that sometimes what we're looking at, we're really not looking at the same surgery. Uh, an ETAP or a TAR, you know, repair and hernia surgery, uh, intracorporeal anastomosis for colorectal surgery, it may take a little bit longer to do for some surgeons. It may cost a little bit more of operative time, uh, but the translation is the outcomes and the overall healthcare costs are going to be significantly better and lower, you know, for patients and healthcare systems. And so, uh, so the techniques lead to better surgeries, uh, even if those operative times may be a little bit skewed. So, you know, once you've decided that you want to start building your, uh, your total robotic practice and your expanded access program, again, there are multiple resources for you, uh, even from, from starting from the initial training that most of us are aware of, but even beyond that, then the continuing education uh, with uh, remote uh, case observations, which is something new coming online where surgeons can actually stay in the, in the city that they're at and their facility that they're at and be able to visit operating rooms across the country to the advanced training courses that are out there, both virtual and, and in person, uh, the advanced proctoring that's available where surgeons can come to you and really proctor on individual techniques and cases. Multiple, a multitude of online and, and data collection resources for you, the Facebook groups and the, and the intuitive apps, and then the conferences, ACS and SAGES and, and AHS, they have multiple talk tracks on robotic surgery every year that are resources for you. And then there's also resources for your team. Your operative teams can, can go to case OBS as well to learn best practices. There's the Genesis courses as well, the site visits. And then hospital administrators, um, uh, there's, a, there's an Intuitive 360 conference that's a great resource for them. And surgeons are oftentimes involved with this as well. And, you know, and then, you know, sometimes, you know, your hospital may come back to you or, or you may hear, you know, what, what is in it for the hospital? Why would a hospital care to try to build a robotic program? 
and and really you know uh, there's there's benefit to them as well and what we've seen here in the Austin area um, you know for our hospitals here this graph is kind of showing that um, the percentage of this blue bar is uh, laparoscopic volumes and you can see that over the years the last several years the laparoscopic volumes have been going down the percentage of laparoscopic cases as a total went from about 50% down to 30% over the last year. So as laparoscopic volumes were going down, we could see, although the purple bar shows um, total volumes of cases and total volumes have gone up. And so over almost over 2000 cases per year. And so uh, again, that's showing that, you know, as, as they built their robotic programs, uh, you know, laparoscopic percentages went down, but total volumes were going up. So their their market share and their and their volume total and their bottom line was going up, um, and and kind of shows again. And this is not just a direct translation of of laparoscopic cases turning into robotic cases. Uh, this was again increasing their volume overall. And then this was the same thing that I saw in my own personal growth. Um, um, you know, so over the last few years, uh, you can see here the volumes of cases that I was doing from year to year, and the trajectory was essentially going up and up, uh, minus a little COVID dip, but, you know, we're back up again now in the last couple of quarters. And so, uh, you know, the, the uh, you know, my own personal growth, my own market share has been able to be grown significantly as I was building my robotic practice. So in summary, um, you know, here, especially here in the Austin area, robotic surgery is really now standard of care. And that's what we've built it into. The all-in approach for me led to a total robotic practice. My total robotic practice led me to push for expanded access. Expanded access ultimately led to a 24-7, you know, a robotic uh, access program for the majority of the hospitals in this area, for all the surgeons involved. And really, I encourage you to be the leader for change and, you know, in, for, for your, both your OR and your community. This is important, again, in COVID times, uh, you know, the, we were able to continue to do urgent and emergent cases robotically, uh, even with the limited staff and limited hours. And just as an example, you know, even last year, I did almost, you know, 285 cases, um, you know, with that limited staff and hours, I was still able to do all those cases robotically. Uh, and this helped prevent a significant backlog of cases by being able to do those semi-elective cases and then catch up with the backlog once things kind of opened up. And this allowed us to, again, mainly to continue to do uh, robotic surgery and provide those benefits of robotic surgery to the patients, to the hospitals, to ourselves, you know, during, even during those times. And, you know, finally, I want to, uh, you know, kind of summarize again the benefits of a total robotic practice and expanded access program to you. The, and the benefits are really for everybody across the board. Physicians have benefits from this. They, you know, you're going to be able to do better surgeries with those advanced techniques that we were talking about with the same costs and times if you're comparing apples to apples as you could do laparoscopically. So there's no, no downside there really. And it helps to potentially build increased market share and practice growth for the surgeon as I showed you with my own practice. Uh, total robotic practice is beneficial for the patients as well. As you can see with those QTI data slides, um, there's, there's, you know, they, they have improved outcomes uh, and their, their, their decreased complication rates and decreased length of stays 
everything across the board is beneficial and helpful with the robotic platform. So patients are having better outcomes. Hospitals are, are benefiting from this as well too. As you can see, they, they're getting increased market share and growth in our area, and it's affecting their bottom line. The, the improved outcomes for the patients decrease their overall costs, and that's, that's beneficial for the hospital as well. And really, this is beneficial for, for healthcare in general. As I mentioned early on, uh, the, the total robotic practice lines up well. The increased experience that's, that's given from that lines up very well with the quadruple AIM initiative. So it's, it's beneficial for healthcare across the board. So if you uh, want to get hold of me or, or have me come and, and help build your program, this is, these are the ways to get hold of me.